This is Game Theory, a podcast about competition, strategy, and decision-making, hosted by me, Nick Andrews, and my brother, Chris. In this episode, we play the traffic game. No matter where you are in the United States, or the world for that matter, everyone on the road is either an idiot or you know what. Your daily commute takes too long, your road trip to the shore takes too long, or worst of all, you risk death every single time you get in the car. But if most of us know the rules, and we all want to go somewhere, how can that be? Why don't we all just drive correctly? How can we be cool wasting our time and allowing some 30,000 people to die per year in America alone? In this episode, Chris and I explore your summer road trip, your daily commute, and your Sunday drive. We look at the causes, solutions, and ideas behind traffic. Player three, this is the traffic game. And welcome to episode 31 of Game Theory, a podcast about competition, strategy, and decision-making. Chris, today we talk about the reason that you will uh, be incarcerated one day, I'm sure. Yeah, I have this problem where I want to be the only car on the road. And uh, <laughs> I think I'm unique in that. Yeah. I think nobody else in the world exists outside of my automobile when I'm operating it. And in that way, I think I'm really connected to everybody else who is doesn't matter to me when I'm driving. Yeah, I am the only person alive. Um, and that, that is that. Today we're talking about traffic and about how, whether you like it or not, you have a relationship with every single human being on the planet every single moment of the day. Maybe that'll segue into a climate change episode that we should do uh, one of the d- these days here, Chris. But first, uh, I got to remind people. If you listen on Spotify, there are polls and prompts similar to a Reddit thread where you can get into fights about this. If you want to start a subreddit, we would like that. Um, I don't really know how Reddit works, though, Chris. I don't think I feel good moderating stuff. Do you moderate anything? Reddit? It's, it's a scary and dangerous place filled with the worst sorts of people. And I know there are worse websites out there, but Reddit's pretty bad. It's like, uh, you know how people thought like marijuana was like the gateway drug <laughs> back when D.A.R.E. was a thing? Yeah. Reddit's like the gateway website to like a big steaming pile of garbage that you just do not want to encounter on the internet oh wow but uh, but if you if you like reddit if you enjoy reddit we appreciate you we respect i i I admire your courage for being willing to navigate that website i just i i i I can't go any farther than like the funny videos and and cats and stuff yeah i uh well you like it to to observe college football and it's actually better than twitter for yes i will say the the college football subreddit is one of my favorite places on the entire internet those (laughs) people are funny they're fun they're generally like informed like sports fans and stuff so if you're if you're into that sort of thing great but man you do not have to walk far to go into some dangerous territory. Yeah, and um, the, the prompts are great. I don't know how much people are lying and where Reddit's just a strange place. Anyway, if you want to start a subreddit, you can. If not, you can participate in a conversation. Nobody participates in our Spotify conversation, so you could be the first. Alas, we know that more and more of you are listening on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. Shouts to everybody listening on Google Podcasts. That's one of my favorite apps. And of course, we have a YouTube channel. Now, we have had, I would say, a reasonable goal of trying to publish an episode somewhere between every 10 to 14 days. And with the exception of a couple of breaks here and there, we've done a good job. However, Chris, good podcasts publish weekly. Good podcasts do publish weekly. And uh, I don't know, it, it, it's like a square circle thing or a square rectangle thing. Like <laughs> yeah. every square is a rectangle, but not all rectangles are squares. Correct. Every good podcast publishes at least weekly. And <laughs> I'm not saying we could get there one day, but we could get to weekly publications one day. We could. Yeah. I don't know if we'll be a good podcast, but we might be weekly one day. And we will, as we try to do this more and have a relationship with our audience, I decided that let's just, uh, let's, let's just put it all out there. If we get a thousand subscribers to either to all of our platforms combined we will go weekly right now i'm not going to tell you where we are but we're over halfway there that means that either we need a couple hundred more subscribers on podcast platforms or everybody who is a subscriber and a listener could just subscribe to the youtube channel because we are willing to count double subscribers 
on YouTube. I want to be clear, we don't know anything about you, and podcast platforms are insanely good at hiding your data, so we have no idea who you are, when you listen, or what you do. So if you want to just hop over to the YouTube channel and click subscribe, if we get to 1,000, or when we get to 1,000, we're headed there, we will, we will start publishing weekly, which is uh, quite the commitment, Chris, and I'm married. Yeah, th- th- there's a lot going on. So Player 3, the game is in your hands, uh, and, and I want you to take note of how much math words Nick is using right now. He's, he's used terms like half, he's used terms like rate and he went to a party school so you know he's dedicated we're dedicated to you player three and uh, we hope you can uh, bring more folks on board and uh, expand the game i guess yeah yeah it's it's a expand the game youtube would be great youtube helps people find it i mean theoretically if we ever got famous that's where this would be profitable but it also when you google stuff it comes up on youtube and googling and finding podcasts via google is hard so youtube helps us chris i have some updates i've been wanting to do this for a while we don't do typical podcasty stuff we're gonna get into traffic in a second but i have two updates update number one is that chess super genius and uh, feminist hero in my opinion susan polgar one of the greatest players of all time and one of the certainly one of the greatest women players of all time started and has been working for some time and has made chess an academic minor at Webster University. Incredible. Susan Polger is a legend of the game. Everybody who knows anything about chess knows who the Polger sisters are, Uh and especially Susan Polger. She's been a leader in getting chess out to more and more people and getting chess out to like academia academia now formally. Uh, She's been coaching at universities for years. She's made chess much more accessible to to young girls and women. Incredible achievement for her to be able to recognize, get chess recognized for the rigorous academic pursuit that it is. Yeah, and not only that, but I thought that if you're going to go to college and you're going to learn something fun that's going to have that's going to be essentially pointless in the real world, like I did, chess is a reasonable major. To, to be honest with you, but maybe one day that'll happen. I have one more update, Chris, and we didn't know about that. I didn't know about this at the time. We were s- supposing why cicadas came out every 13 to 17 years. And I, the reason has been theorized. We just didn't find it in the episode. That happened a long time ago. So let's update the people as to why that is. Why is it, Nick? It is because those are prime numbers. So it is not... Prime numbers. Animals will not be able to have a biological clock and predict when they will, be, when they will come back. Incredible. So what is a prime number real quick? I'll tell you, it's a number that can only be divided by itself and one. Like you can't multiply a series of numbers together to get a prime number. And once again, player three, I'd like to highlight Nick's academic courage in bringing up a math concept from a previous episode. I mean, it's really cool. I mean, you see prime numbers all over the place in nature. It's not just like a fun little math artifact to make students memorize stuff. Right. Uh, It really does have implications in nature. And it's, as you said, because bugs, animals, whatever, don't have a biological clock that's like a, on a predictable basis or one that's easily digestible in smaller chunks. The prime numbers are, that they're an important part of the life cycle of the cicada. Yeah, absolutely. And it's like anytime you can incorporate math into what happens in reality, or at least find the math that happens in the real world and beyond the classroom, it's really important. And that's a great segue into what, what we're going to talk about today, Chris. And that's, that's traffic. You think I need to go to the store, I need to get in my car, I need to go home from work, I need to take a trip to see the grandparents. You have a relationship, just like the cicadas have a relationship with each other and their environment. Everything is working together symbiotically. The problem and how traffic happens often is when people don't agree and play the game together. So let's get into traffic. Just as everyone's about to head to the shore or the beach in May, let's talk about why you're pissed off. Yeah, Player 3, if you're like me, the main place you listen to your podcast is on the road. I listen to Nick's podcast every single day. It's called Interesting to See. I listen to that every day on my commute. Shouts. It's part of the way that I get through the drive. And I don't even have a very long commute. It's just the frustration of going to stoplight after stoplight and seeing person after person run red light after red light, watching phantom traffic jams happen for no discernible reason at all, watching people just mindlessly cut in and out of traffic as though their needs are more important than everybody else's. Maybe they are, maybe they aren't. Maybe they are. The point is the traffic is very frustrating to me. And I think that's a pretty common thing. I, I, I don't think I'm alone in thinking that I would rather do things other than sit in traffic and, and try to negotiate that. So let's put this into perspective here across the United States. So shout out to our international listeners. Sorry, I'm going to be working with, uh, with American information today. Yeah. So according to statista.com, Right now, there's an estimated 283.8 million motor vehicles in operation in these United States. Of those 283 million, approximately 12.15 million are involved in traffic accidents, and 4.8 of those crashes involve property damage. So 
it's really risky to go out and drive this huge, valuable machine around and just hope that other people aren't going to run into it or hope that somebody isn't going to run out into traffic or some cyclist isn't going to slam into the side of your vehicle. It's a dangerous world out there, and traffic is a problem, Nick. Yeah, it's a, it's a problem economically, and it, like you said, the danger is really interesting because when the pandemic happened, everybody who was kind of poo-pooing it because of the death rate was like, traffic is more dangerous. First of all, and aside, that doesn't make the pandemic any safer and doesn't mean it's not something that we should freak out about. But yes, it is in- incredibly dangerous, and perhaps we should be freaking out about how many people. It's like, oh, this person died in a tragic accident. What a heartbreaking situation for their family. But that fucking happens. Like, It doesn't have to. Yeah, it, it, it really doesn't. And one interesting thing about the pandemic that really brings that concept to bear that like this doesn't this is a preventable thing. According to the NHTSA, the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, 2020 fatality data showed increased traffic fatalities during the pandemic. So you remember back in the early days of 2020 in March when things really got shut down and into April and May a lot of traffic in America stopped because people weren't going out, people weren't buying as much, people were shipping, certainly, but they weren't using their personal vehicles to go from place to place because of safety restrictions. And there were a lot of cities that got clogged up because of demonstrations. And uh, and, and so motor vehicle traffic was generally down. So you would expect if crashes happen at a certain rate that the number of traffic fatalities and the number of traffic accidents would also decrease. But According to government data, that's not the case. So according to the NHTSA, an estimated 38,680 people died in motor vehicle crashes in the year 2020. I mean, mean, Nick, that's the size of Sweetwater County. That's as if everyone in Sweetwater County got into a motor vehicle accident that ended their life in the year 2020. And that happened all across this country. It's, It's shocking to me. And... Some of the reasons that they suggest that that happened are that because of the roadways being more open and because of fewer vehicles uh, occupying space, people weren't forced to drive slower or pay more attention to, to vehicles on the road. So they became more reckless. And there were a lot more traffic incidents where people were crashing because of speeding or taking turns too aggressively. Uh, their crashes happened at higher rates of speed because traffic was less dense. And so people became much less risk averse because there weren't as many vehicles like occupying their cognitive space. And that led to more people dying on the road when there was like half as much traffic as the year before. Yeah. Which is to me, it's really like, cause I remember very specifically driving on Easter Sunday after dropping my wife off at work. And I, I take Sunday drives and I take her to work on the weekends and I remember on Easter Sunday, uh, uh, the most populated thoroughfare to get folks from New Jersey to Philly and Philly from New Jersey when I lived in that area, it was literally empty in the middle of the pandemic. I said, this is really interesting. This is really nice. But you're saying that there were, were more accidents as be- because people were taking risks. They thought it was safer, so it wasn't. It's was kind of actually how the pandemic went down. But that, to me, is crazy. Yeah, well, and, and, I, and I want to get more specific on the data because I, I, I kind of offhandedly just now said like there was half as much traffic. That's not really true. There are ways that you can measure how much traffic there is. Uh, and of course, the Department of Transportation does that. Uh, so according to the DOT, there was about a 13% decrease in the number of total like vehicle miles traveled. So it's like every vehicle travels a certain number of miles and you add this up. It's like man hours, like everybody works a certain amount of time. You can add that up to the total like time worked. Uh the Department of Transportation said that there was a decrease of 430 billion vehicle miles in 2020 compared to 2019, and that's like a 13% decrease. However, the fatality rate for 2020 uh. was 1.37 fatalities per million per 100 million vehicle miles, uh, and that was an increase from 1.1 the year before. So you drop traffic by over 10%. And you have an increase in the fatality rate on the road. I mean, it's 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 just incredible. I mean, in, in the in the previous year in 2019, we said there were 38,000 people who got killed on the roadways in 2020. In 2019, that number was down to 36,000. I mean, 2,000 more people died on the roadways in a year when there was 10% as much traffic. I mean, it's 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 shocking to me. Yeah, that is that is shocking. I also I'm noticing something else, and I noticed this obviously with the. Protests and subsequent riots in, in the wake of um, the, the murder of George Floyd. I'm noticing this a lot at stadiums and at concerts. People, I think the pandemic really kind of created a purge-ish kind of culture where people are mad 
Uh, road rage seems to be part of that as well. And that road rage is a result of people making individual decisions in these kind of scenarios. Now, you and I are fans of the work of David Foster Wallace. The person was like all genius writers. We'll leave, we'll leave that judgment for player yeah. three. You can you can decide what kind of person David Foster Wallace was. But yeah, you're right. We 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 like the we admire the work of, of yeah. DFW. Absolutely, and like you know, most writers like the person. Uh, you know, whatever you can Google it yourself. So he had a very famous commencement speech that I find to be incredibly motivating and and very nice to think about. And in that commencement speech, his argument was what you learn in college is how not to be floating around on your default setting, which is where you are the center of the universe and others are not that way. And literally one of the examples he uses is in traffic. Like, are you the problem? Are you the solution? Just be present enough to think about what's going on around you. Now remember traffic, getting mad at traffic and creating traffic is one of the most crazy anti-human is proof that perhaps we're not evolving because every single person who is in a car that is moving does not want to be where they are as evidenced by the fact that they are in transit. Yeah, I mean, like the existence of people operating motor vehicles, like, okay, obviously a lot of people drive vehicles for a living, delivery drivers, medical, like emergency and first responders, like a lot of people drive for a living, but that doesn't mean that they want to be where they are at the moment. They're exactly. trying to get to somewhere else. And yeah, it's it's just hard to be mindful of that. I mean, like you say humans aren't evolving. Like I do think there's something to be said for like the base instinct. And, you know, I, I saw this, uh, there was a, a an interview of, of a panel of a bunch of like politically conservative identifying men in the New York Times recently. I mean, it would have been probably two weeks ago, maybe. Mm. And one of the interesting findings out of that interview of the panel was how often these guys with this certain political mindset connected misbehavior on the road, like running red lights and ignoring stop signs and driving dangerously with larger social issues. Like they saw that as emblematic of some kind of moral or behavioral decay. And I I, I think there's something to be said for the notion that like people driving selfishly once they like get themselves in the car uh just think like what are my needs what am i doing i don't care about everybody else everybody else is just an obstacle and i can personally attest like that that's a hard mindset to not have as a default and uh anybody who's driven with me knows that uh I'm, I'm trying to fight a courageous fight in overcoming that, and I do not often succeed. I remember you had a girlfriend in college and a little after college who once prompted you to give your spirit of the law rant about, the, about, about uh, speeding and how flow of traffic works. So you just refreshed me on what your spirit of the law argument was? Well, it's like, look, okay, <laughs> the, the, the speed limit on U.S. interstates is often subject to interpretation. And the point of the law is to get people safely from A to B as quickly as possible with as little drama as possible. And so if somebody is behaving within the letter of the law, that's not necessarily uh, going to result in safe driving 100% of the time. And so the spirit of the law, like why is the speed limit 30 miles an hour and not 31? The point is drive at a reasonable rate of speed for the road that you're on. And the spirit of the law is about trying to get you to where you want to go safely and without incident. And I think that's a great thing to bring us to our next point, Chris, which is how, let's start with the worst thing ever, which is the phantom traffic jam. So we're going to get into the game theory of traffic. Let's start with the phantom traffic jam. The phantom traffic jam is when there's no wreck, There's no construction on the road. The road is open and it is fine. And the speed limit is 80, 75, 65, or 55, depending on which state you are gifted enough to to live in. The phantom traffic jam, and you can find many videos on this, and maybe we'll post them in the uh, show notes, is when a car or two, for whatever reason, slows down their rate of speed, causing the car behind it to slow down. And as a result of that, it's like a slinky. The trickle-down effect can happen. Now, I can tell you, the worst place on the planet, like, this road sucks, the traffic here. I've driven in all four time zones quite a bit. Coast to coast, north-south, my, my Subaru had been in, I think, 44 states or something all over the country. The worst traffic in the world for this to happen that I've ever been a part of, at least in America, is in Virginia on the interstates that go north and south. That place is, honestly, it's a crime against humanity. And... It's because Virginia has such a rural population that people need to use the interstates to go here or there or buy their groceries. Even with three lanes, both of the north-south interstates in Virginia have these phantom traffic jams where Google will tell you, yeah, you're in a 13-minute slowdown over and over and over again. You think there's a wreck. There's no wreck, Chris. It's just this kind of slinky effect. 
Yeah, it's it's remarkable how frustrating the the phantom traffic jam is because it's exactly as you said. Sometimes you think a crash must have happened or a traffic stop has happened and people are forced to slow down. But really, these traffic jams just happen out of nowhere. And the phenomenon that you're describing where cars kind of bunch up and stop for a little bit of time and then go slowly until they're forced to stop again because they're getting too close together, that describes a phenomenon in physics that can easily be measured and is well understood. And it's called a transverse wave. So waves are really interesting in physics. Uh, They're responsible for all sorts of things like electromagnetic radiation, just the simple transfer of energy from point A to point B. But the thing about waves is that they're the only way to transmit energy that we know of without having to transfer mass. You don't have to move an object physically from one location to another. Uh, A wave can carry that energy. There are basically two types of waves that you learn about in like your high school physics class. One is called a lateral wave. And that's where you have waves, motions going up and down all across like a line. So if you were to like grab a jump rope or something and wiggle it up and down, that little hump that like speeds along, that's called a lateral wave. There's something else called a transverse wave. And that's like if you were to grab a slinky and pull it really tight and like bunch up some of it and let it go. And like the bunch kind of travels all along the line of the slinky kind of bouncing back and forth. So that's that's a, a, a the transverse wave concept. And that can be observed in traffic jams. Uh, physicists have been able to identify, as I said, the speed of phantom traffic jams. Uh, according to the Irish Times, the shock waves produced by the continuous stopping and starting of heavy traffic flows, uh, those move at like 20 kilometers an hour. Um, I'm not going to translate that because, uh, frankly, I just don't feel like it. Mm. But the point is that there's a well-understood phenomenon behind the phantom traffic jam. And the unfortunate problem is that it's just a problem without a solution because largely it's caused by human behavior. Yeah. And the only way to do that is to get everybody to buy in consistently always. Now there are two things that can happen here. in, in my opinion, thing number one is that someone just for whatever reason, their baseline instinct is to slow down. If you're taught to drive, like defensive driving, that would theoretically make sense if you, were, you, you just needed to slow down to collect your thoughts and be safe, safety first, of course. It's weird to kind of get people out of that mindset. Option number two is that there's someone who's driving aggressively that's causing people to slow down. And there's a way to be aggressive without being a problem. When someone becomes a problem and people have to react to let them in and out and make sure that everybody's safe, Boom, it just, it, 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 it happens. And we forget that we are all in this together. It is a relationship. Yep, we're all, we're all kind of locked inside the system. Uh, and we, we got we to obey the rules of the road. We got to stay within the lanes. And so that leads me to kind of transition into like the solutions portion of this. Like we, we all agree, traffic sucks. There are a lot of problems. Nobody wants to deal with it. Right. So Nick, in my mind, there are pretty much two approaches to trying to solve the problems uh, posed by traffic, and humans have been using them for a long time. Uh, the first is engineering, trying to design better traffic systems, because if we're all going to use a system, something that's designed really well can reduce the flow of traffic, reduce risks, make things flow a lot more smoothly. That's going to help everybody. And number two is behavioral. So let we, we should talk about the engineering approach first. And then we can get into kind of the more game theory-esque behavior, cooperation, collective action component of dealing with traffic. Okay. So when we want to talk about engineering solutions, I, when I found, wait, I have a clip for us to play a little later. I'm pretty excited about it. You might recognize that. Uh, Can't wait. (laughs) Regarding solutions, there are only a couple of solutions that sort of make sense. And they're all just different variations of the same thing, which is to eliminate left turns and as many limited as many turns as you can the roundabout and different various interchanges and from an engineering standpoint as much information as possible is also a solution so i got really into one of the greatest podcasts of all time and to whom we owe we're just kind of doing a very similar version of what they're doing the podcast is called stuff you should know it is a podcast version of legendary podcast legendary obviously now stuff you should know is just a podcast variation of a very famous website called how stuff works now the the, the title of the podcast is, episode is really great chris it's it's um i think that you would get along with these people based on this title and that title is roundabouts the problem is you that's that's pretty much the case because although the universe ceases to exist when i close my truck door uh 
I still am reaping the consequences of my own actions every time I step in the car. So, right. yeah, if people understood the way the system is supposed to work, things would work a lot better. Right, and I, 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 I understand that the, there are a lot of, there's a lot of hesitation on roundabouts depending on where you are, rural areas, turning right, turning left. So a roundabout is a really good example of everybody working in concert. A, a traffic light is everybody takes their turn, which is just individualism, individualism, individualism. Now, if you've ever been to a college town, I went to the University of Mississippi, Ole Miss, which is a, a town with a population of 20,000. The economy is like 90% university. And the student population is about 20,000 as well. So when the stadium holds 60,000 people for a football game, plus however many tailgaters are there, intersections become a problem for a, a town the size of, of, of 20,000. Now, the solution that was kind of implemented sometime between 2003 and 2012, depending on when construction happened, were one and two lane roundabouts for everything. And you think to yourself, well, if a roundabout is the way to make traffic better for places like this, then perhaps they should just be the norm everywhere. And I want to show you something, uh, if you're watching on, on the screen, and maybe I can try to share my screen with Chris. If not, I, um, he'll just have to deal with it. I've, I've sent him this in the future plenty of times. This is called the Panavia Intersection, and it is an interstate roundabout. An interstate roundabout. It is an interstate roundabout. Have I, have I showed you this before? Do you want me to share my I can't share my screen because we're recording. No. YouTube is more important than you. Uh, so the, the idea for solutions like this is that getting rid of turns and getting rid of any opportunity to slow down, the slowing down is the problem. That is the problem. And if, if it's caused by people who are speeding up or emergency vehicles or road work, whatever, but slowing down is the problem. If you look at the Panavia roundabout, which is just a concept, I don't believe it exists anywhere in the world. According to Reddit, they haven't found it. This example right here is really good. Um, the roundabout is so big that the space in the, mental, in the middle is usable. It is just a simple interstate roundabout because whenever there's two interstates intersecting, you can go right, you can go left. And I honestly, Chris, the reason I'm so excited about this and I, I wanted to work this into the episode is because I found this on a rabbit hole on TikTok right before I went to bed and then I didn't get to sleep for like two hours. I started getting really into traffic. I just chatted it to you in the Zoom chat. Incredible. Yeah. Well, Nick, we should talk about what a roundabout is before yes. we start talking about Panavia roundabouts and showing stuff to people who are listening on an audio sure. medium. So let's discuss <laughs> Subscribe what to the YouTube a channel. roundabout is. Because uh, it's a confusing concept if you haven't seen one before, and there are plenty of places in America that do not have roundabouts. Uh, there are plenty of places in America that do, but when you're driving through, it's hard to kind of like take in all of the different pieces of the roundabout. So let's like talk about what that is. Sure. So as you said, it's an alternative to the classic stoplight where you have cars coming from different directions and some can go and some have to stop and wait uh, for the signal to change color. So a roundabout as an alternative to that where, as you said, the point is to avoid stopping and slowing down. So there are basically five components to a roundabout. Uh, so first... Uh, the entry to this roundabout intersection is controlled by a yield sign. Uh, those things don't really exist on like a circular roadway on the inside. Like it's only entering and exiting the round part of the roundabout uh, that are controlled by yield. Right. Now, the second component is that cars that are already on the inside of the roundabout always have the right of way. They do not have to yield to anybody. And that's a consequence of the yield sign control. The third component is that pedestrians can only cross the legs of the intersection. They can't cross like through the roundabout portion. Uh, the fourth component is that parking is not allowed inside the circle at any point in time. And finally, uh, traffic has to pass to the right of kind of like the central wheel there in a counterclockwise direction. And that, of course, is an artifact of driving on the right-hand side of the road in this country. So uh, to those of you who are driving in like Ireland or the United Kingdom or, or wherever else they drive on the left, uh, that's not necessarily the same. But so the, the, the point of all of these designs is to minimize the stopping and starting aspect of cars changing directions from one lane or from, from one I guess, lane and going into another. Right. Uh, and there are a bunch of different creative designs to make that more optimized. So if there are more than one uh, intersection, if there are more than two directions, like a north, south, east, west, like what if there's like a third option? What if there are some diagonals? Now, I live in Washington, D.C., and there are a ton of circular roads and roundabouts that are designed with this concept in mind to get people maximum flexibility without having to continuously stop and start. Uh, and that has a, a lot of positive uh, effects. And one of those is making traffic a lot more, uh, it, it flows a lot more smoothly so more cars can get through and you can get through more safely. Yeah, it's also extremely 
beneficial to your car and to the environment, these kind of roundabouts, and that would be true theoretically then for the interstate because cars work the hardest when they go from stopped to, to starting, to moving. That is where the emissions come from. And being able to glide through is so much better for the environment. It's better for your car. Every time you touch the brakes on your car, it gets closer to death every single time. And there's just no way around that. That's just how physics works. So try to get most out of your car. More roundabouts is good. Now for traffic and for safety, they're better. The reasons the interstates have less for the most part, it's per mile driven or whatever. It's much safer on the interstate because there are no left turns. There's exits and entrances. That's why speed on the interstate can be so simple is because you locked in. There are no intersections. So the bigger these roundabouts and interchanges happen on the interstate, theoretically the safer, but in a small town like Oxford, Mississippi, you can reduce traffic by literal hours in a town that supports 20,000 people and a weekend where there are 120,000 people there by having a roundabout. Yeah, like it's, it's really uh, an incredible design, and it makes things much uh, safer and much smoother. Uh, but it's not the only way to no. get vehicles safely from A to B, uh, especially with, as you said, the dreaded left turn. Uh, there is a place in this country that is an enigma to those of us who <sighs> don't live there, and it just will never be explained by science, the whole state. Uh, but in particular, the traffic system uh, in the state of Michigan mm. is fun it's baffling. It's uh, it's it's something to be admired. I think. You know, obviously, Detroit used to be the home of auto manufacturing, pretty much in the world. Right. Uh, it's still a major auto manufacturing hub today, and as a result of that, almost all of the transit in Michigan and in downtown Detroit is based on like what works for cars. Because uh, if you're Henry Ford, you don't want people taking public transit. You want Correct. people buying the Model A. Correct. So the Michigan left turn is an infamous concept that is supposed to be designed with more safety and more ease of access to going from one direction and turning left from that direction uh, than your standard intersection or even a roundabout. So according to the Michigan Department of Transportation, this is on the MDOT website, a Michigan left is an intersection at which left turns are restricted, so you cannot turn left in Michigan. Instead, to turn left, drivers have to continue straight through the intersection or turn right and then make a U-turn at a specifically designed median crossover turn. Uh, Michigan has been doing this for a long time. They've been doing it since at least the 1960s. They recognize left turns as a major safety risk because it's harder to see oncoming traffic. You have to cross lanes in, in two directions. Uh, it's a really dangerous thing. So according to research on the MDOT website, uh, eliminating left turns improves safety. It, it makes traffic flow a lot more easily. Mm -hmm. And uh, the Michigan left is a specifically designed way uh, to do that. It's also, it benefits people who are not using the road with their car. It benefits pedestrians. It benefits cyclists. Uh, and, and it benefits like large vehicles like truck drivers uh, as well. Uh, the only problem is that, of course, if you want to turn left, you have to like bypass the left turn and go up and around somewhere else. Right. Uh, but all the roadways in Michigan are designed to do that. So there's plenty of space. It's possible to do. And it really does improve uh, the safety of people going to the left and it's it's the weirdest thing for people who are not in michigan because like i don't understand how it's such a localized phenomenon yeah i mean it's I, called the michigan left yeah so new, new jersey has a similar concept they call it the new jersey left but it's basically the same thing on highways where there's no left turns because they just can't have people sitting there and anybody who's driven knows what it's like to be either waiting for a left turn and just you have to wait for the light and you're just stuck or the worst case scenario is when it's like the perfect amount of traffic where you just can't shoot the gap michigan and New Jersey, for the most part, just do away with that, where they essentially create exits. Like, you get off, there will be no left turns today here, sir. My, my guess is that New Jersey has to do that because it's the most densely populated state in the union. I think Michigan was just smart. I, Michigan has a big rural population, and there's a lot of commuting. So I imagine it reduced commute times and reduced traffics. I would guess, I'm not a math person, as we've been making an aggressive amount of, of jokes about this, this particular episode. I would Look, I'm just, I'm just saying, I'm just using true information. I would call the math jokes this episode, like right toward hurtful, like just right, right under, right. Anyway, regardless, I would imagine that it's super expensive to in, like, if you were like, Hey, all right, uh, Mississippi, we're doing Michigan lefts. Like, well, who, with whose $5 billion are we doing that? 
Yeah, so there are a lot of factors that go into determining when the state of Michigan decides to build a Michigan left. And, and of course, this would apply anywhere uh, it, where the Department of Transportation is interested in exploring that concept. Uh, so obviously, not all intersections are created equal. Uh, and there are a lot of factors that go into it, like uh, the history of auto accidents that occur at a particular intersection. Like if there are a lot of accidents that happen on a left turn, then it might be beneficial to explore. Mm. Uh, also got to consider stuff like uh, how high is the traffic volume? You know, the, 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 there's an entire field of study called traffic engineering. It's just like, you know, your computer science or your chemical engineering, or it's, it's a branch of civil engineering by itself. And one of the metrics that they use to try to measure the efficacy of a roadway design is called the lane flow equation. Uh, and the, the basic equation is Q equals KV, and that's Q in vehicles per hour. So how many, how many cars per hour are traveling through a given area? K is the number of vehicles per kilometer. So that's like the linear density. Like, so when traffic is really high, the number K is really high. Uh, and V is the average speed. Like what's the velocity in kilometers per hour uh, of the cars. And so the Michigan Department of Transportation or whomever uh, would have to consider the lane flow equation in informing whether it's feasible to install a, a Michigan left turn here and, and really kind of change the infrastructure of the roadway system. Yeah. And you've got to be able to predict that. And that has a lot, that, I mean, that's just really damn good civil engineering to do that kind of thing, because you'd have to predict the flow of human beings as well. Right now we are in a really delicate moment for migration in, in the United States due to the ability to work from home. I can work from home and I can tell you that time zone matters to me. Uh, cost of living matters to me. Like my wife's work is very specific and needs, she needs to be geographically in the hospital. If you've, if you've listened to previous episodes, you know what she does. But for me, I can, I can do whatever, which means that I don't, what if I don't want to pay New York's cost of living, New York City, Philly, San Francisco cost of living, people either move south or they move inward to the middle of the country. And if that happens en masse, it can create a problem. Western North Carolina and Central North Carolina, which is where I live now, is on the precipice of continuing to blow up. And it is going to be an issue for places that are not prepared for this. So where I live, which is in the Winston-Salem, uh, I think it's called Tri-Cities, Greensboro and High Point. They kind of saw this coming after 2008 when all the finance bros moved to Charlotte and Wells Fargo and Bank of America set up their shit in New York South, which is Charlotte. They prepared for this. But there are still towns in, in, in Western North Carolina where traffic, you could spend more time going a shorter distance in rural North Carolina than you can in, in Philadelphia or in Chicago or in New York City because the roadways are not prepared. It's not about volume. It's about the lane flow equation. It's about how many people per lane. Like when you drive north or south in Virginia on a weekend, you'll know three lanes is not fucking enough. Like we need more stuff and we need civil engineers to figure this out because as people either A, want to live in a city and live their best life and get brunch on a Saturday or B, they want to live and have a dog in a yard, people are going to continue to migrate and it's going to be an issue. Yeah, well, and you know, you you mentioned adding lanes. Uh, there's uh, there's actually a, ah, yes. a lot of interesting mathematics and and traffic flow study and network analysis behind the concept of adding more lanes. I personally agree with you. The the road Interstate 95 coming north from Richmond to Washington is uh, it, it's it's a crime against reason is it what is, it is, yeah. and yeah. there just aren't enough lanes to accommodate the the volume of traffic. But it's also true, Nick, and I think we should point this out that adding lanes or adding shortcuts or adding extra lines of connection in road networks does not always necessarily result in a better flow of traffic. In fact, there is a phenomenon called braces paradox. That's spelled B-R-A-E-S-S, -S, braces paradox. And that phenomenon is that adding one or more roads to a road network can actually slow down overall traffic flow through it. So this on. paradox was <laughs> discovered by a German mathematician in the late 1960s, uh, and it actually has applications outside of traffic flow as well. It can apply to electrical power grids and logic networks, uh, neural networks. Uh, there are some biology and uh, like even sports strategy can be can be based on this this concept of like adding lanes can make things worse, and so that's something that traffic designers have to to keep in mind as well. Uh, it, there's also the phenomenon of induced demand. You know, if, if enough people, if enough consumers of the road, so to speak, learn that there's another lane and things will be a lot easier to drive, they might be more willing to take the risk and go out on the roadway. And the number of people that respond to the increased volume uh, actually exceeds 
its capacity. <laughs> and because the demand is induced by this like additional capacity, uh, the system gets overwhelmed anyway, and things end up worse than they were before. So it, there, there's a lot to uh, there's a lot to consider there, and uh, the the Nash equilibrium of mm -hmm. yes. a, a, of a capacity network is not necessarily always optimal, and uh, you, you can you can lead to some unstable, unfortunate uh, traffic jam scenarios by trying to just add more outlets. Correct me if I'm wrong, but there was a really cool name for something. L.A. did something like this, right? Something in L.A. and and they they couldn't they thought that they were going to fix the problem and it ended up being a disaster. Is that right? Yeah, Carmageddon in, uh, in, I think it was 2011. There, there are a lot of, like, Carmageddon examples. Like, we, we talk about how bad the traffic is coming from Richmond and stuff. Like, we just are fortunate, I think, not to have to negotiate L.A. traffic. Like, that's, that's like, a different different level. So, shout-outs to people who are, who are driving in L.A. Uh, but, yeah, like, I mean, there, there's, there have been examples where Interstate 5 or the 5, depending on where you're from in yeah. California, uh, the, the addition of more lane capacity actually made things much worse and people were stopped for, for hours and hours just sitting on the interstate, uh, ostensibly burning fuel, probably trying to keep cool or uh, you know, doing whatever, listening to music or, or whatever people do to pass the time when they're stuck on the interstate. Uh, huge environmental disaster, uh, lots, of, lots and lots of problems, and that was because people tried to like change the design of the roadway system. Yeah, and that um, it can backfire. Civil engineering, engineering in general, uh, you know, like... You don't know what you don't know in math, and you, there are a lot of safeguards, and I love engineers and math people because y'all are just such nerds, and you like medical people are like this, and to a certain extent, finance people were like, we're going to account for everything, but you can only account for everything that you know, and you don't, can't predict what variable is going to come up until it comes up, and in, in, uh, I think we talked about this in our vaccine episode. In medicine, it's called phase four studies. Those aren't real studies. It's just seeing how it happens when it passes the phase, the phase three study. In phase four studies, like Carmageddon can happen, and how could they possibly have predicted that. And we know that this has been a problem globally. A lot of people will tell you that the worst traffic in the world is in China, where people are like there for days, like they're, they could like be malnourished. Moscow can take 12 hours to get somewhere in Moscow. And this is not a new phenomenon. People have been pissed off about this for a long time, Chris. I forget if it was some party that Napoleon was throwing himself. The party was to begin at somewhere between 7 to 9 p.m., People began arriving in their carriages and they would arrive in their carriage and they would get dropped off and they'd be escorted in, right? Like all pomp and circumstance and nobility. The last guests arrived at 8 a.m. the following morning. Incredible. Just absolutely incredible. It, like, they should have, first of all, they should have just invented the car. Like, <laughs> yeah, get, it, get it together. I mean, Napoleon, Napoleon come on. But no, I, I mean, one, one of the things about this braces paradox is like, this is where we start to get into the game theory of like how people choose their routes. So like, if there's one route to get from A to B, everybody's going to use that route. That makes perfect sense. Uh, but if there are two ways to get from A to B, then people are naturally going to figure out, okay, well, route number one is a faster way to get from A to B, so I'm going to take that every time. Uh, but then eventually, route number one gets too crowded, so people think, okay, I'm going to go with route number two to get from A to B because nobody takes it, and I get there a lot faster than I would have if I took number one. And what we have is a kind of almost competitive game theory environment wherein players are choosing their routes to get to where they want to go based on what is optimal conditions for them. And everybody is, in, is incentivized to selfishly choose their own route. And one of the consequences of that is that this unstable Nash equilibrium that exists where people choose their own routes selfishly, that's suboptimal for everybody. It reduces the performance of the entire system. So you could, you could design and add new roadways and make roundabouts as cool as you want, but the problem is game theory is going to point us back to the least optimal system performance and that makes things worse for everybody. So even though it might be the theoretical shortest route for you, everybody around you is going to slow you down on the way to getting there. Yeah. And you know, it, when, when you add new ways to get from A to B, if you add route number three, the, the, the same phenomenon is going to occur where people are going to decide how their routes are optimized based on their own selfish needs. And the problem is that collective action would make things a little bit better for everybody. And, that includes the people who are taking suboptimum routes, but <laughs> nobody wants to take a suboptimum route because they are no, they know they have, they have to make a sacrifice and there may or may not be payoffs for that. Right. Yeah. And like I, I, what I find interesting too, and I, I'm just not thinking about this. We've been preparing for this episode for, for about a week and I'm just not thinking about this. I think Google maps probably makes this shit worse because everybody has access to the same amount of information. So if there's like, Oh, there's a traffic jam on the interstate, 
you're not the only one that got the ding to take an alternative route. And like, that means that, okay, now if, if 500 people do it, that route is worse than the one that you were originally on. So it becomes a vicious cycle. I oftentimes, when I will look at a trip, like when I go uh, drive to see you, I've occasionally tried to take me from either from driving from North Carolina or driving from Philadelphia, where I used to live, it's tried to take me on weird Maryland backgrounds. And my response has been, fuck off. Like, I'll just drive straight. Like, it doesn't, it's not going to matter that much. I'm not the only person going from Baltimore to DC today. In fact, too many people are going, which is a problem. I'm just going to listen to a podcast and, and tend on the side of, of defensive driving. Now I want to talk about defensive driving because we talked about, well, well, yeah, I mean, I want to point out that Mm -hmm. I, I, I've read, I, I remember reading years ago, uh, news articles that discuss that exact phenomenon. Like people get these Google maps or Apple maps notifications like, Hey, there was a crash report or you should take a different route. Right. One of the, one of the ideas behind, uh, like trying to improve this overall system was instead like forget traffic interruptions or slowdowns or whatever, just have Google maps give some people the less optimum route by default. Yeah. And whether people know it or not, they're actually improving the performance of the system, even if they might get to their destination like two or three minutes sooner if they went with the more popular route. Uh, and you know, so like player three, next time you're driving, and you get one of these notifications, like if you learn about a crash or if you learn about like a major slowdown and you get a new route suggestion, if you take that route suggestion, pay attention to how many more cars you're going to see than you would normally expect, especially if it's an untraveled road. And you can know with pretty good certainty that somebody else in those cars who's behind the steering wheel got the same notification on Google Maps or got the same notification on Waze or whatever app they're using. And you can see like, ah, yes, Here's the the selfish personal incentives of this like prisoner's dilemma that we're all right. in trying to get from A to B. Like th- this is playing itself out in real time. Game theory is deciding how traffic flows today because we got this new information. Right, and I think so. For, for me, I, I've accepted routes before, and so I, I have the decision making process gets fast when you're in the car because it's it's unsafe to consider this for too long. I have two basic tenets for if I if I choose a a, a new route. One is the overall distance that I'm traveling. If, it, if the new route is a completely different way to go there, I will say no. But if the new route is like a bypass that is maybe an hour or two of this new route and then I get back to the original route, I'm like, okay, that means that the, the data are saying like, you need to avoid this route for like an hour. Like, okay, that makes a ton of sense. I'll do that. I'll see a new part of the country. The second thing is how many people that I'm around in the, the jammed up route are either A, stuck there and couldn't get this new information or B, are likely getting off before I would get to my destination. So, for, as an example, driving from the, the triad by, by Greensboro to the Charlotte airport, I was suggested to take a new route. I thought, you know what? There are this exit, this exit, this exit, this exit, this exit. There's so much traffic right now. I imagine that a significant portion of people are going to Charlotte or are going to the airport, but this traffic is caused by all of the people heading from work to the suburbs where they live. If I take the alternate route, all of those people are going to just get off when they were going to get off, and I will be able to go around them and get to the interstate faster. However, if you do that, you got to think to yourself, What's more likely? More of these people are going to the suburbs or more of these people are going to Charlotte? Well, the more of them are going to Charlotte, they're going to get that and they're going to jam up these back, these back roads in North Carolina. I'll just, I'll just keep going. Yeah, like there, there are a lot of things to consider when trying to, to optimize your own personal route. Uh, but I think the main one to keep in mind is everybody else is trying to optimize their own routes too. Yep. Everybody is incentivized to take the shortest route and the system performance is going to suffer as a result of that because that's just how the game theory plays out for everybody. I mean, we're back to the idea of like competing incentives. Everybody would benefit if some people would take suboptimum routes, including the people who take those routes, but no individual person has an incentive to act on that. Right. So Nick, I think your transition into behavior is, uh, I mean, this, this, this is a good way to do that. I mean, what, what can we do? on the road as drivers to make things better for ourselves, to make things safer and improve the overall driving experience. I have some suggestions. I know Let's you do, do too. Yeah. No, I want to hear yours. Let's go. You're rolling. Number one, be predictable. Don't be polite. It's not a niceness contest. So let me, let me tell you this quick story. I used to work at Oak Ridge national laboratory, you know, just going back and forth and leaving that laboratory. There's a very long stretch of road. That's like 45 miles an hour. And there are a couple of stoplights and it eventually goes into an on-ramp and there are two lanes going the whole way there, you guys. And as you, everybody knows, player three, I'm sure you're well aware of this. When traffic is slow, you're supposed to zipper merge and eventually make two lanes into one and go every other car, every other car. Yeah, that, that's just the way that merging is supposed to happen. Right. But at this place at Oak Ridge, these like PhD scientists and these like highly skilled technical blue collar labor, like very smart 
skilled people uh, all get in this one lane and they back up traffic through like multiple traffic lights and all kinds of intersections and stuff. And, and it's just the funniest thing. And they leave this whole lane open. Uh, don't do that. Don't like wait your turn. It's not a nobility contest. You're not trying to be nice to the other drivers. Obey the rules of the road so that other drivers can predict where you're going to be and respond accordingly. Letting people in isn't a noble endeavor if it's not their turn to get in. You're interrupting the flow for everybody. You're making things worse for you. And you might feel good, but you're actually making stuff worse for everybody else. Just take your turn because if the wheels aren't moving, then everybody's stuck. Yeah, and that, that's true for all zipper mergers. If there's a lane closed for construction, this is the most annoying thing. If you're driving across the country, as soon as you know that lane is closed, if you can see it up in like in three miles, lane closed in three miles, that does not mean merge now. In 2.6 miles, then merge at the end of the lane closure because that's how it's going to work. You merging early is going to cause everybody to have to back up. And that, and, that's, and that depends well, on that the is. speed of traffic too. Yes, yeah, of course. If, if traffic is below like 30 miles an hour, then you should fill up all available lanes and merge at the point of merge. If traffic is light, if it's not dense and if it's moving very quickly, then you're, you're better off merging sooner so that people can predict where you're going to go and not like have to accommodate you cutting in at the last second. Like that's, that's when the problems occur. So be predictable. Don't be polite. Yep. And the second recommendation okay. that I have is really more about like personal attitude. Be patient and expect other drivers not to do what I just said to do. Yeah. I, uh, you, you know, sometimes people are going to drive like jerks on the road. They're going to run red lights. They're going to cut you off. They're going to just be poorly behaved adults acting like children. Uh, you got to just be patient with that and you know understand like trying to like outmuscle somebody for a spot in line. Just get over it. Drive slowly. Keep a safe following distance. Be predictable and. You know, try to let the jerks speed past you and uh, don't get in a wreck. Yeah, and con consider your other driver. We mentioned about David Foster Wallace. Just take a moment to consider your other driver. They don't want to be there as well, and perhaps they are an asshole or a jerk or an idiot or whatever you want to call them, perhaps. But, but also, perhaps, they're just like you, and they don't want to be there, which is why they're there. Just take a moment, consider everything. Chris, the easiest way to lose a chess game that you're playing online is to not pay attention to it. When you're driving, how people get hurt, how you get stuck in traffic, how you become part of the problem, how you exacerbate the problem, and how you're stuck is by not paying attention. Put your podcast on, but be take pride in being a good driver. That's what... That's my suggestion. Take pride in being good at this. I think that matters a lot. Yep, agreed. And for the love of God, Player 3, use your damn turn signal. <laughs> We're living in a society. Like, rate, review, subscribe. Oh, man. Subscribe on YouTube. We're on YouTube. You can see our beautiful faces. And one of you can donate money to, to give me an iron or a steamer so I can iron my, my wrinkled shirt, Chris. The game, the game theory of, of wardrobe. It's unbelievable. Nice. Oh, thank you. And we're live with this week's episode of Game Theory.